This episode of Exponent is sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk makes software for better customer service. Its platform is designed to bring organizations and their customers closer together and is used by more than 60,000 organizations in 150 countries. Customer relationships are built on trust and communication. That requires making customer service a core part of product experiences, not an afterthought. Make your customer service seem like magic by building it directly into your apps, websites, and products with Zendesk Embeddables. Find out more by visiting Zendesk.com slash Embeddables. Hi, James. Ben, how are you? Uh, I'm good. How are you? I'm I'm actually starting to feel a little bit better. Whatever it was I picked up, it it uh, in Australian terminology hit me for six or cricket terminology anyway. I I uh, it, like was out on my back for a while, and only now, uh, in the last twenty four hours, have I started to feel better. But I am starting to feel better, so that's good. Hit me for six. Yeah, these, these sporting terms. Yeah, that's, uh, that's you're, you're always you always talk about the sports ball, <laughs> and and I just have no idea. Uh, that, this is what it's like as a foreigner coming to America. Not quite, but uh, that's cricket, and it's the equivalent of like a home run when a bowler a bowls a ball to a batsman and he hits it out of the stadium. It's called hitting it for six because it's six runs. Uh, sorry, James. It's football season. I have no room for any sports. <laughs> It's funny. I I, 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 football. I mean, American football is this. You know, is this kind of gladiator thing. And there's now there's, there's all this evidence of like people getting concussions and like being damaged for life. And it's like it's really a, a terrible sport. Um, and it's incredibly entertaining. Um, and like it's such a cultural thing in the states, right? Everyone is just gets wrapped into it. I think part of it because it's just once a week. I mean, there's there's other games at other times, but mm. primarily Sunday afternoon and um. And there's this whole apparatus around it, and and but being in Taiwan, you miss all that because it's not really international at all. You know, I, mostly the sports I follow are, are is the NBA. Um, but then, uh, and, and it had a, a nice side benefit where one, I wasn't getting sucked into it, and I wasn't wasting my entire Sunday watching football. Uh, and then two, I could feel very self righteous in, in about, <laughs> about how I didn't watch this terrible sport. Uh, um, but ha- happy uh, side effect. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep this Sunday because I, I just gotten back from the states, and uh, the Packers were on first game of the year. Oh, and I so a little bit of that self righteousness went yeah. out the window, huh? No, more than that. I paid the NFL money so I could watch their games, uh, <laughs> and it was it was it was extremely enjoyable. Um, so yeah, all that self righteousness was. So I was um, going to say we can keep that just between us, but I guess it's you, me, and however many tens of thousands of people are listening. Well, I mean, so I thought self-righteousness would be a great segue to talking about advertising and ad blockers. And I, yeah, like well, there's so, a little bit of that floating around the internet at the moment, isn't there? Oh, <laughs> well, it's funny because this, the, well, the question is, is the self, what side is the self-righteousness on? Um, uh, it's on both sides to be uh, like on one, on one hand, it's like, I'm providing this, I'm providing this content. How dare you do something that might that that might protect your privacy and on the other hand it's uh, like uh there's all this content out there and i should be entitled to it for free it's like i think it's a battle to see which side can become more self-righteous well, well, no no i start see you're not you're not doing the self-righteousness correctly and Sorry. we're not gonna get too much into ad blockers we already learned a lesson with that <laughs> uh well it, which is which is interesting in itself but um no the correct i believe the correct stance james is uh, I use ad blockers not because I don't mind ads. Of course, I want to support writers. It's that I didn't agree to be tracked and my privacy violated. And um, golly gee, I would love to support them, but you know they're, they 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 broke the contract. You sound a lot like me in that last episode. I was like, I was I was scrounging for things to justify my use of ad ad block pro or whatever it is, and I managed to pull that one out of the hat. Um, yeah, that's well, that's been a popular <laughs> one. I mean, like Marco Arment uh, wrote a, this long post basically making that case a few weeks ago. Mm. And um, and he actually this week released an I was came out and he released an ad blocker uh, that shot to the top of the page charts has been sitting there, you know, for the last 24 hours. Uh, and um, I supported it. I uh, so just to put that well, out well, 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 but here's here's the thing, though. I mean, his ad blocker called Peace obliterates all ads mm. like it's not. It's not like a, you know, it's not like a scalpel that's just stopping the tracking or, or the privacy. No, all ads are gone. And, and I, I guess that's, you know, it's one of those, it's a, this is kind of a question, right? What matters? Is it the, is it the intention or is it the reality? Cause the reality is, is that, um, 
You could say, oh, I, I don't mind advertising Fendel Gap, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is, is there's no ads there. And frankly, uh, I don't think it would be at the top of the page charts if it if if ads remained, right? Like people it, people aren't as concerned about privacy as we'd like to think they are. I think, yeah, people just like not having ads. Yeah, I, think, but, but, I mean, it is. Well, and also like the the pages load faster. They look better. There's there's improvements to battery life. Like No, right, exactly. Yeah, which all goes into they, they just don't like ads. Right. I mean, there, are, there aren't very many good reasons to, to, to not do it except for self-flagellation in support <laughs> of a dying business model. How about that? Is that self-righteous <laughs> enough? Well, I, like I said, I don't want to get into it because um, <laughs> I, I stupidly got into it on Twitter again the other day. Um, and... Well, because my, my point on Twitter was... Uh, so you're about to it. get into it, Ben. You're well, about no, no, to no. bait yourself if, into it. If, you're, if your point <laughs> is uh, that these are bad, then you could build a content blocker that just blocks websites, right? So you don't even accidentally visit a website with an ad network you don't approve of. Uh, but no one wants that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone wants wants to somehow still have access to content. Uh, it's I'm, just, that, that that's the thing. Yeah. Mean, here's the thing. It's fine. I, I get it. Like David Barnard wrote a great post saying, talk about, he called it 50 Shades of Ad Blocking Gray, which is a hilarious title. Um, but his, his point was, it's gray. And people, because it's a gray area and there's, uh, can understand arguments on both sides. Uh, pe- people are going to draw the lines in different places and that's fine. Like it, it, it's, it's one of those things I use the term moral or something. The last time I talked about it and, and later explain mm-hmm. why, what I meant by that and how it, and I understood how it was interpreted the wrong way, but it's funny. People get so worked up with this. Someone mm-hmm. today on Twitter was accosting me about my post four months ago. And it's like, dude, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't know what it is particularly people who use ad blockers get really upset and yeah, like some of the email I've gotten about this is, is pretty amazing. Yeah. Like well, I, I, I've never gotten like, like yelled at and like expletives used against this me. Is like, so you like would is say this saying, is the hottest button you've ever written on. That surprises me. I, yeah, no, I, I think it is. And it's people who use ad blockers. And I, th- I don't know. I mean, my, my sense is uh, they don't like being called on, what I would say the rationalization, but here's mm. the thing. Here's the thing. Stop before you email me, please. Don't email me. Ah, oh, I just earned it again. It's okay. If you want to use an ad blocker, that's fine. It's your choice. I downloaded a ton of music on Napster actually before that on FTP. I, I, and, but here's the thing. I, I, I was not sticking it to the man or pushing back against unfair music label policies. I was stealing music, right? I mean, like it was, I was, and I'm not particularly proud of it now looking back, but then again, like I didn't really think much of it at the time. It's it's a victimless crime, you know. No one's getting hurt. The marginal cost of an additional music file right. is zero. It's not really stealing in that sense, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, it's foregone revenue. But then again, is it really foregone revenue because I would have even bought that song in the first place? I, I don't know. Um, ads are similar. I think it's a little, you know, you can draw the ones. On one hand, I think like you're actually are getting the content. You probably. You know, it's less like I wouldn't have gotten that song anyway. On the other hand, there is absolutely the privacy stuff and the tracking, which is totally valid. I, I get I get the concern. My whole point is just spare me the long winded explanations of why, like, uh, just spare me the self-righteousness. Mm. I mean, um, and, and on my part, I will stop the self-righteousness on my side and we can call it a deal. So after 10 minutes of self-righteousness, we'll ask everybody <laughs> else to spare, spare you the self-righteousness. So here's a here's an interesting thought experiment. Well, I, it popped into my head as I was listening to you talk. What happens if there was a extension that you could download that would get you behind the paywall of any new site? Like it's like you could go and you could go and it was effectively like having subscriber access to the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Would that be okay? Uh, I would say no, mm. obviously. But I mean, I also think that that I personally don't use don't use an ad blocker, even though I agree the experience is better with it because I, mm. for me that crosses my line, right? Yeah, it's interesting because because uh, I mean you're you're getting to this the like the sen- the sense of entitlement. I feel like that question somewhat drives at the sense of entitlement, right? Right, like, but you say the word entitlement, and that's what sets people off. But, like, but that, like that, it's that one word. But that's yeah, okay. Well, I'm not I'm not looking to I'm not looking <laughs> to explode my email inbox as well. But like, uh, um, 
there's self-righteousness on both sides and if if you boil it down on the if you boil it down on on the other side i really feel like it's people trying to hide the fact that they have a sense of entitlement to this content they deserve it like not really i mean I, i'm i what you just said around napster i can kind of relate to around <laughs> I, and here I am. I'm, I'm literally, just as I'm saying it, I was about to say I'm kind of stealing content, but I was about to start justifying it by saying, well, there's the, this is the old way and I'm helping to drive out this extinct business model <laughs> and replace it with something. Listen to me. That's, my favorite, that's, my, favorite, that's my favorite myself. rationalization. My favorite rationalization is if they wanted to, they could block me. Here, here's, here's the fact of the matter, though. Here's the reason why we, we, we should probably edit out this first 12 minutes. One, so we don't get email. But two, it doesn't matter. Like the, the fact of the matter is this is all an academic debate mm. um, because one, uh, ad blocking continues to grow and will continue to grow. And two, uh, you know, it, coming to iOS, it, I think it's more interesting to talk about like what's accepted. It is what it is. Let's mm. not debate either side of it because honestly, you could go in circles forever. And, and as I've learned, like people aren't, People not only aren't going to compromise on this, but they're going to get very uh, frustrated about this on both sides. Again, on both sides. Um, um, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. We should call this podcast uh, uh, "Covering My Ass." Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> CYA. Uh, <laughs> yes, this is a CYA podcast. Mm. Uh, but the reality is, like, what now? Given that it's the case, what now? And I think there actually are some really interesting, interesting questions uh, to think about going forward. Um, both about ad blocking specifically, but then also about advertising and and writing and papers and stuff like that. Um, some of the stuff that I covered this week, but also stuff that I think we've we've touched on mm. actually throughout this podcast, uh, uh, throughout the run. And and so totally, um, there's one other thing like the extent to which it's exposed the very divergent interests and incentives behind big tech companies like Apple, Facebook, and Google. Like it's absolutely. kind of put the three of them. It, like they're kind of facing off against each other in different ways, um, which is just fascinating to explore in the context of this. But we can get to that later. Well, no, I think let's we'll start. Let's start there. I think that's okay. an interesting place to go. I mean, uh, Neil Patel wrote a really uh, in- a really good article today, basically pointing out that Google's model is uh, is the web. And it's primarily making money through search, but also through display advertising. But also, the key to display advertising for Google isn't just to make money. It's that Google it. Google propping up publishers is to Google's benefits. That means more stuff for their search engine, mm. right? It's like it's like Google has a very virtuous sort of cycle with their with their business model and all the different pieces of their business. I mean, as you basically, if you're a multi hundred dollar billion company, you have a very aligned virtuous cycle of a business model. Like yeah. that, that's kind of like a prerequisite, mm. and Google absolutely has that. Um, so the the well, I mean, that's uh, when you think about it. That's where all that that that's where all their value has come from. It's basically the sucking noise of of all these newspapers dying is all that money landing in Mountain View, or at least it has been up until that point. This point, well, to 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 a, to a degree. I mean, the thi- so back in, there is a really interesting factoid about about advertising. I've referenced it a couple times now. Mm. I, I talked about it. Um, I first mentioned it in, in old fashioned Snapchat, uh, an article I wrote last spring. Mm-hmm. Um. The thing with advertising is uh, the amount of advertising is actually very, very consistent. For as long as they've been tracking it, it's been between 1.1 and 1.4% of US GDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think last year or the or two years ago, whatever the last year I saw, it was like 1.29. So the, the, uh, what that means is advertising is a zero-sum game. Like what, whatever is taken away from one area and goes to another area or some, or if advertising mm-hmm. flows into an area, it's coming, it's take, being taken away from somewhere else. Right. So, uh, so the thing with newspapers, newspapers specifically, um, well, they had lots of problems. I mean, one was certainly the classifieds problem, which was a lot of, which was a lot of, mm. lot, but from a, a more fundamental level, there was just, uh, um, you know, newspapers, there's that graph, you know, which was newspapers, like, like advertising revenue increasing for like. You, you know, like basically mm-hmm. forever and then plummeting. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, if you put that graph against US GDP, one, they track each other, like the, the the ups and the dips. But two, the slope of the newspaper line is less than the US GDP line. And, and, it, it, and it, it, it changes in a couple distinct spots. One was when radio came along mm. and two was when TV came along. Mm. And actually, 
because the advertising is a zero sum game. Now there was, because there still weren't that many places to go and because radio and TV were constrained by time basically. And by the number of channels that were allowed, which was a low amount. And because they're relatively expensive, the newspapers still did very well with them there. Cause the newspaper was kind of like the, that was the cheap advertising spot, you know, for, if you want to advertise Kleenex, you're not going to put a commercial on the air. You're going to put a 10 cent coupon in the Sunday daily. Um, and, and so the newspapers still did very well, but they, 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 the, anytime there's been more advertising opportunity, newspapers have actually have been hurt collectively. Interesting. So this is, this isn't the first time it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's affected the slope previously as more places and effectively more supply of advertising became available with things like radio and television, but the internet feels like it's an order of magnitude different from those yeah. past two. Right. So, so on, on the internet, like for it, it is an additional media spot. So just like, even if it was just re, re, ignore what it is, mm. anytime you're adding a significant new medium, what is there is going to be hurt be, again, because advertising is a zero sum game. Right. So, so that's the first problem for newspapers is just, there's an additional medium. And every time there's been a new medium, newspapers have gotten hurt. Mm. The second problem, there's, there's basically three, three issues here. The second problem is that, uh, because digital, um, kind of to our point, zero marginal cost, right? It was great for journalism. Like say, you know, your typical paper, instead of only reaching people in this geographic area, because it was gated by the cost of printing and delivering and basically distribution. Uh, once the distribution went to zero, which the internet did, you could now reach everyone in the world. Your addressable market became numbered in the billions. The problem is that that happened to every single newspaper at the same time. Plus, and plus, if you want to start a blog or anything else, it became trivial and easy to mm -hmm. do. So, so th what that did was instead of just in a market, so it used to be, in, say, Madison, Wisconsin, where I grew up, right? Mm -hmm. The newspaper used to own the market. Then the radio stations came along and had to share with the radio stations. And the TV stations came along and had to share. Now, instead of sharing with like an internet entity that's in, that's in Madison, Wisconsin, it has to share with every single geography in the world so, so all these little ponds with these big fish got emptied out into one giant ocean and they all found themselves competing with each other all exactly so so the the increase in competition was actually much more much more stark mm -hmm. and so and you take a, someone like Madison, wisconsin like why am i going to read the wisconsin state journal when i can go online and read the new york times right for for international or national news like the, and so of course all the local papers most you know right. the milwaukee journal sentinel for example uh one, the Milwaukee Journal, the Milwaukee Sentinel combined, but two, they've invested an, just tons and tons of money in their sports section. And they're kind of like the preeminent Green Bay Packers, you know, sports section. And, and every, everyone knows that. And which is a very smart and rational thing to do because that's the one area they, they can still maintain an advantage. Mm. I mean, that that was very smart of them. I'm, I'm just thinking you are a newspaper with an established set of relationships with advertisers that are probably local because your customers have been local. And all of a sudden, the benefit you have is that you have a global reach, but you don't all of a sudden have global advertisers as well. There's no way that companies are going to go around to each individual newspaper and, oh, you're getting five readers from Australia and I'm from Australia and I'm going to I'm going to advertise with you. So they had these old local advertising relationships. The benefit of the global reach didn't help them with those existing advertisers. They had no way of building, scaling up an advertising network. So whatever benefit they received from a journalistic point of view certainly didn't help much from a business point of view. Exactly. And that's why, that's why the, you know, they, there's the talk about, you know, print dollars became digital dimes, became mobile pennies. Mm. Like that's not just about the format and that's not just about the explosion in inventory. It's, it, it it's just as much, and this is point number three, uh, which is actually the most fundamental point of all is that the, the connection with the advertisers was severed. And because remember, advertisers never, and this is kind of the point that I was trying to make in my article this week, advertisers don't care about readers, right? It, it, it Advertisers want to reach prospective customers. It just happened to be that the best way to reach prospective customers was to reach newspaper readers. And so they, they were they, they were overlapped and they were overlapped. It was an overlapping of convenience in that newspapers had distribution, which advertisers needed. And so they worked together and everyone was working towards the same goal. They wanted to reach as many readers slash 
potential customers as possible. And 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 I think we've talked about this before, but this is why journalism had the luxury of like being, dare I say, self-righteous about stuff like separating the business side and, and the journalistic side. Mm. Because it just so happened that the business side was perfectly aligned with the journalism side and they didn't need to like – it they're just they're, it was just naturally they fell into alignment and when and when you came to going online a lot of that persisted um, especially for online only publications like the good thing with the internet is it's super cheap right so you got you got these publications that start up no printing presses no no delivery no distribution no trucks all that sort of stuff they kept their costs very low and then they just focused on writing and then threw up some ads and and made money because uh, that's. Yeah. Yeah, that fixed costs were so low that even though the revenue wasn't huge, it was enough. Exactly. Now, the the problem though, and you just nailed it, is that particularly over the last few years as as Google for first and foremost, but then ad networks and now uh particularly the social networks we'll get to in a moment, uh the best way to reach prospective customers became completely divorced from reaching readers. Like the best way to reach prospective customers, if you're selling Kleenex, is you want to identify the best Kleenex buyers and then get an ad in front of them, right? Mm. Now, how are you going to do that? You're not going to go to the, the New York Wait. Times because, you, because the problem is you're going to get you're going to advertise to a bunch of people that you don't want to reach, right? The idea is to focus your focus your your marketing on the people who actually you want to reach. And what happened? And so what happened was you had all you got these ad networks that sprang up. And what they did was they kept track of people. They had people around the web. All those ads are all interconnected and they're tracking you per our ad, you know, our, our conversation before. Mm. They're building profiles of you. Um, and uh and figuring out like who you are and what you're likely interested in. And then an ad, uh, an advertiser come along and say, I want to reach, I want to spend fifty thousand dollars to reach uh mothers in the Midwest who during cold season, right? Cause they're probably gonna want to buy Kleenex. And what an ad network can do is on any site that installs it, it doesn't matter what the site is. It could be the Chicago Tribune. It could be uh, imore.com. It could be the verge. It could be the New York times. They will, they will for someone logging on in say Minneapolis, Minnesota, right? Going to a site and it doesn't matter really what the site is, what it's about. Uh, they will get, the content that everyone in the world gets, because remember the, the journalists are still reaching around the world, but that specific ad will be will be customized and targeted just for that person. And and if you back up for an advertiser, this is so much better than the old system, right? They get to be way more specific and efficient in their spend. Even certainly they're not going to go to every single publication on the web and buy something. No one has time for that. But two, it's better than advertising in, say, the Minneapolis Star Tribune because you're not you're not wasting money at talking to people you don't want to talk to. It's a yeah, it's effectively a two sided marketplace where there's a whole mu- there's a whole bunch more liquidity now, and there's a whole whole bunch more uh, information and granularity. Like you're down at the level of the individual as opposed to just like blasting everybody with an ad on a newspaper and you know very little about them and so on and so forth. Right, exactly. So the 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 um the challenge or the 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 thing with I mean the thing with with advertising on on the on the web was you know or before the web I should say was if you you want to advertise a newspaper like that was kind of your only choice right and so the price of advertising was it was very much a supply and demand sort of thing like how much space is there. Um, now on the web, there's basically an infinite amount of space for all intents and purposes. Uh, so it's really about one, the effectiveness of your ad, like, you know, a a banner on the side of 10 gazillion things is very different than an ad, say on Facebook, where it takes over your mobile phone screen, um, to the targeting, like how specific can you get to make sure you're reaching who you want to. And then three, the tracking, like how can you can, how, how well does, did the ad work? Um, and this is a big thing for Google, right? Google was uh, Google. The targeting was perfect because you actually typed in what you wanted and the tracking was perfect because it was whether you clicked on it or not. 
what's happened over the last few years that that's fine though. That's, but, but that's only good for the marketing. That's like direct marketing where, where you know exactly what someone wants. Right. You're, you're looking to int- your in- intend to purchase, but there's another kind of marketing. Right. Which is the brand marketing, which mm-hmm. is building, a, b- building affinity, right? And this, you want to reach people where they are and, and kind of just slowly over time, shift them, shift their preferences. Mm-hmm. And, and this though, the reason why this has taken a long time to shift the web, we've already talked about this. I think we're repeating ourselves a little bit, but is the targeting and tracking part was much harder and more difficult to deliver. Um, and it was just easier and easy matters, right? Return on investment. It matters how much time and money you invest. It was easier to just put an ad on TV, right? But now, particularly with Facebook and social networks generally, but particularly Facebook, they're getting so good about, uh, one, having a great ad. And by great, I mean it it, 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 it it's a, performs well. It's right in front of you. You don't miss um, it. Right. Two, uh, the detail that they have about the, the ability to target they have. And three, now they've spent a lot of time and money the last couple of years building up their, their, their tracking or their understanding how well the ad worked, whether it be around on the web when you purchase or even when you purchase offline, mm. both Google and Facebook are working on this, um, that it's becoming a real viable alternative for this sort of stuff. And if you're an advertiser, you could deal with these ad networks uh, which are okay, they're cheap, but there's also other problems like publish, you know, there's just a, they're a mess. Like publishers, lots of publishers abuse them, uh, stacking ads, you know, building them under the page, stuff like that. Um, or you could go to Facebook and get this super high ROI, more, much more expensive, but are a much better, a much better return. I, I, yes, I mean, that's, uh, and it, I have I have nothing I can add to that other than agree with you. So so the the issue for publishers is um again when you go back to this zero sum game it's not just that ads might be blocked. Um because keep in mind ad blocking doesn't really hurt the advertisers and an advertiser doesn't pay for an ad that isn't seen. Um where it does hurt advertisers is one it's more likely to be high income people that block ads. And two, uh, there are certain demographics from likely to block ads that they can't that they can't reach. But that's not uh, harming advertisers so much as publishers, though, is it? No, all, all the harm is happening to publishers. They're mm. just not getting paid, right? Right. An advertiser is not paying. Where, where they're being harmed, though, is it's getting harder to reach some types of people. So through old channels, at least. Exactly. And so the issue is. Um, the issue is not not just that ad blockers are coming up for publishers. It's that I suspect over time there's going to be a shift in money uh, away from ad networks generally, or if not a shift, at least a, of a slowing in growth to to Facebook and to these better, even better ad right. networks. Because again, advertising is a zero sum game, and you can you can get it to a very blunt distribution between newspapers, TV, internet, but internet, you can slice it down even much further, right? Any, so any increase in advertising on Facebook and it continues to skyrocket or on Twitter or on Snapchat or any other channels, it has to come from somewhere. And yes, a lot of it's going to come from TV, I think, but also it's going to come from other parts of the internet. And I suspect, um, these are going to be these are some of the some of the places are going to come from. Mm. This is where it gets so interesting for me. Where we started off is that is that looking at the behaviors of of the 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 tech giants reveals so much of their incentives in this. So Apple's Apple doesn't care about ads. That's just affecting the user experience. Why wouldn't we install content blockers? Um, it's the, right. to be clear, they're not installing them. They're just well, ena- enabling, enabling them, them, but enabling them and, you know, like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But um, it, the, the more interesting thing is, is when you start to look at the tension this is creating or, or the differences, the way that Facebook and Google are starting to face off around this. And obviously, Google's relied on this heavily because of their need for the ad networks and how they've monetized through them. Well, but, not just that, but the ad networks, the ad networks prop up more content on the web and the right. more stuff there is on the web and the more time people spend on the web, the more money Google makes. It's, it's symbiotic in that sense, as you said yep. earlier. Um, Facebook, on the other hand, has a very different approach. They want things, they want as much as they can get uh, in their wall garden. And that's not just ads, that's also content. And 
if it's this, and there's this very interesting dynamic where Facebook may actually have an incentive to, and this was a point you made to be fair, but I thought it was a fantastic point in one of your updates. Um, They have an incentive to enable, so when you click in, when you see a link on Facebook and you go out to the outside web, they've controlled the uh, browsing experience up until this point, um, they don't right want- as as Twitter has, and as um, as most, most well up to up until now, you you that's the only way to do it. An app that wanted to show a web page had to use what was called a web view, and they could decorate that web view however they wanted to. Right, and now now there's a standard Apple one, but um, I think Facebook has continued to uh, control it because they'd much rather have the widgets that suggest you share back to Facebook rather than the Apple default ones, which might take you off to anywhere. What might be interesting is that, and this point, I, I love this point, that Facebook is actually given the point around uh, that advertising is a zero-sum game, given the fact that um, it, it might hurt publishers that are publishing out on the open web, Facebook is actually encouraged or, or has an incentive to actually put in ad blockers as well when it's uh, when you're following a link to the outside web, uh, obviously blocking the ad networks for Google, but more than that, doing damage to the publishers because effectively it's a read for free, whereas they might have got an ad in place outside, encouraging publishers into the Facebook walled garden. And also, um, it, you think about the zero marginal cost for ads, it's like it, it further increases the value of a Facebook ad. Sorry, the zero sum, zero, zero sum game of ads. Yeah. Yes. No, no, exactly. The Apple standard one is basically, it's called a Safari view controller. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Facebook um, would use the Safari view controller, which means if you have an ad blocker installed, it would then, it works in the Safari view controller. It doesn't work in normal web controller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the issue is what Facebook is giving up is then Facebook has to use the system-wide share sheet which may or may not have Facebook prominently featured as a share option, right? You can easily share to Twitter or to email or but they, it might be. they don't have to, I mean, it's not like they have to make a decision and stick with it forever. If right now the aim is to like, I mean, this sounds perverse, but their aim is to do maximum amount of damage to the publishers right now out on the open web, get as many of them signed up for Facebook as possible. So right now they might give up control, but who knows, in a couple of years' time, they revisit the decision and then go back to um, having their own that encourages sharing on Facebook. Or, or, or maybe like if, if that strategy is effective to the point where publishers stop publishing on the open web, it becomes more of a moot point because more of this content is resting inside of Facebook anyway. Yeah, so I think we're, we, we kind of jump 15 steps ahead. Sorry. To be clear, right now, Facebook uses a standard or uses a WebKit view with their own Chrome with their own and if you want to share, you can only share into Facebook. Um, and the good that's that's a relief for publishers because that means even if someone has a an ad blocker installed on iOS, when they open a link in Facebook, which is where the the majority of publishers get their traffic, more than Google, more than what else is from Facebook. Uh, when they open that in Facebook, they will still see ads. They even if they have an ad blocker installed, mm. and now. so. Right now, yeah. And so the issue is if Facebook switches to a Safari view controller, on the downside, they won't be able to control the Chrome or the sharing options. But on the plus side, if that person has an ad blocker installed, now the a there's there will be like a step change in the number of sites that are being impacted, right? Because again, most people access through through Facebook. And so Facebook, without having to without having to install their own ad blocker or to do anything dirty like no if if facebook adopted mm. the safari view controller people would be applauding them oh it's so great facebook buying the system providing great user experience oh and it just so happens that that facebook is stabbing first google in the back and which helps because one any any ad money that moves away from google where is it going to go it's probably going to go to facebook but then two to your point and this is part of the, even the more devious point is, yeah, it hurts publishers and and it makes an even greater incentive for publishers to go to things like Facebook instant articles where you right. monetize on Facebook. Facebook, you can sell the ad on your own if you want to, which is silly because Facebook's going to sell an ad better than you can. <laughs> or Facebook can sell an ad for you. Facebook will keep 30%. You'll get 70%. And Facebook gets this great content, this great user experience. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it, Facebook, all, all this stuff 
that is happening, the number one company that's benefiting by a huge margin is Facebook. Um, because all, all these changes are one, uh, shifting the thinking for advertisers in a way that favors Facebook. Mm. And two, uh, Facebook is potentially positioned as a savior for publishers. Uh, if they can start, you know, Insta articles as hasn't really gotten off the ground yet, but if they can actually provide a, an effective monetization option, there'll be a safe Harbor in the storm for these publishers. And, you know, all the way as they're laughing all the way to the bank. Well, yeah. So long as <laughs> I, 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 what was, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name. I need to get more sleep. Um, the famous, um, the famous writer that recently died from the New York Times. Um, uh, David Carr. Yes, Carr, the surfs in Facebook's kingdom. You, uh, Yeah, maybe laughing all the way to the bank until, of course, uh, well, I, I'm not going to say until, of course, they change the rules. Who knows what they'll do, but they certainly have given up a lot of control at that point. No, publishers have not given up control to Facebook. Publishers have not, like, abandoned their independence. With they haven't articles? been independent in a long time. No, the, the, the publishers are right now, as we're seeing and why everyone's losing their mind about these ad blockers, they are dependent on these ad networks. They have given up their independence to the ad networks. Publishers don't have direct sales teams going to advertisers and selling stuff and, and on the web. And it's not their fault, honestly. Like a, a small site like can't it's not efficient for an advertiser to advertise them on a one-to-one relationship basis, mm. particularly when that advertiser could just go to an ad network. Like the, the issue is the interests of particularly s- small to medium sized publishers. There's no one else that shares their interests anymore. There's no more alignment. Advertisers aren't aligned with them. And frankly, readers aren't aligned with them because they're not focused. So that's where we're going to get to a much greater degree. This barbell effect that we talked about, the jungle effect. Mm. You're going to have the tall trees and the tall trees are are going to be Google, are going to be Facebook, are going to be, yes, even Twitter, uh, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, Pinterest. And then, and also one more tree, which is everyone else. And that's going to be the ad networks. And then at the very bottom, you're going to have, the super focused, super niche stuff that they can survive because they they deliver something highly differentiated that either one people will pay for, or two, they've through native advertising they can recapture that old model. Think about like John Gruber, right, and Daring Fireball. Why why is his native advertising so effective? It's because one, he's highly differentiated, so people go and read everything in his stream. So mm-hmm. if there happens to be an ad there, people are going to read it. But then two, you an advertiser knows the exact sort of person that they're getting, right? And this takes care of the targeting problem. Like John doesn't need to worry about delivering a profile or targeting or tracking his customers because the the content on his site kind of self-defines the sort of people that, that read it, right? And so you get – it's almost like the old newspaper model where – uh, you have advertisers that want to reach this specific kind of customer. You have John who wants to write these these specific sort of articles, and they just happen to be perfectly aligned, and he is profiting because of it. And that's there will be other ones like that. There will hmm. be other other publications that are very narrowly focused. And if you're an advertiser in that narrow field, you will find it very profitable to go and do native advertising there with those specific pub- publications. Um, but everyone in the middle, everyone who's writing like has four or five writers or 15 or 20 writers covering a variety of things. If you're covering a variety of things, you're not getting that one person who's reading everything. You're not getting a specific type of person that you can sell to an advertiser for native advertising directly. And you're not big enough to have a sales team that can actually command, get a relationship with with advertisers that matter. You have no choice, but to do these ad networks. And so, and so. Sorry, I'm, I, I that was a, I'm that, that I I really did push a button right there because I, I mean I, I agree with everything that you said I guess and I I absolutely agree that they that the publishers haven't had independence or they've been dependent on others for a long time I guess it, I, I would say at this point though at least the dependence has up until this point been primarily on an oligopoly where there's been some degree of competition 
in in that world that you just described where the open web starts to go away and it ends up more and more behind the closed closed wall garden of Facebook and that gets more and more attention and advertisers become more comfortable being there or, or more profitable being there because Facebook's paying, if they become dependent on a, a sole place, which is increasingly the, the case that there's going to be an increased concentration, then I, I think that puts them at more risk. Of course, the, the point that, I, that I, I would expect you to make having me said all this is, but what choice do they have anyway? Well, one, what choice do they have anyway? Two, it won't be just Facebook. I mean, there will be other there will be other options. There will be still be ads on ad networks. There will still be, you know, I mean, but not if not if all the devices and uh, not if all the devices and everything going out onto the open web is a blocking ad networks. Yeah, well, let's be honest. I mean, there <laughs> the ad networks already are incredibly sophisticated because there's lots of very smart people working on that. What was that quote? Uh, all the smartest people in generation were figuring out how to get people. Click on ads, something yeah, but, like that. Yeah, like Facebook the, and Google. Yeah, there's going to be a cat and mouse game with ad networks and with blockers. I mean, like, first off, you know, large sites in particular, they'll put like they'll put the exchanges behind a proxy or some sort of thing so that it will soon be like, say, you want to go to The Verge, right? You know, you go to The Verge and there's like 27 trackers. That's not an exaggeration. I think that's about how many there are. Um, and they're all coming from kind of unique URLs, right? And so most most ad blockers are very, uh, that's why they're very blunt instruments, as I kind of talked about at the beginning, mm-hmm. is they see a different URL and they just block it. Or they have a they have a list of like URLs and they just block those URLs. Mm-hmm. So what the, what the Verge is going to do, for example, or what Vox will do, is they will probably, they'll build some sort of backend system that does all the interchange stuff on the backend and then delivers it like, from a verge URL or mm. from a Vox URL, wherever it might be. And now it's going to be harder to strip it out. Right um, now there'll still be scripts. You could block all scripts. You do sorts of stuff, but now it's getting harder to block ads and maintain the full functionality of the page. Right. To just block a URL is super easy. Um, but I mean, in, in the ad network, the ad blockers will get better and then the, the ad networks will get better and it's going to be a cat and mouse game. The truth though, is uh, the ones that are going to be able to handle that are the sites like, the verge, Fox. right? Yeah. It's all these little guys running on a WordPress server somewhere. I mean, they're how you know it's gonna well, little guys running on a WordPress server. Oh well, I mean, advertising to a certain extent, but I, I mean, I take your point. I mean, no, I mean I, like Gigaom, right? Ran on WordPress and they're out of business. Well, um, I, I, I mean, that, that WordPress WordPress can scale up to a huge size. To be clear, right? I mean, TechCrunch was WordPress, you know, um, but the. uh my point is the ones there's a lot of publishers right now that are dependent on that. And frankly, there's going to be, there's going to be changes and in, in, in some respects, it might not be the worst thing in the world. I, you know, like you go and tech me and there's a Apple store, like there was an Apple, I posted a screenshot of this. Uh, like when Buzzfeed had an interview with Tim Cook. And so, Tech me, of course, did the headline was the BuzzFeed story. But then tech me, like, so that's the kind of the human component. Like they'll 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 pick out one of the most important stories. But it tech meme is both human and also kind of uh algorithm. Mm. And the algorithm basically, as far as I can tell, has a bunch of RSS feeds and it automatically kind of slots stuff in place. And so I actually love it because if there's a specific story that I'm writing about, uh, I'll open up like four or five sources because figure out which one is worded it most <laughs> conveniently for me. Um, and so it's great. They list all the publications that write about a story, but right. you have this, you have this story, this, this Apple story where a ri- totally unique, original reporting from, from Buzzfeed. Like mm-hmm. there's no, it wasn't like an Apple event where there's tons of reporters there. It was a single, they're the only ones that could have written that story. And underneath it, there was 39 <laughs> additional articles, all of which were basically rewriting the Buzzfeed story. Um, and, you see that and you and and that's where I kind of was being a mildly provocative, even though very few people kind of noted it when I said like called it a publishing bubble, popping the publishing bubble. Like there there seems to be a disconnect in supply and demand if there if we are sustainably employing enough people to do 39 rewrites of one original piece of reporting. That that seems to be a fair thing, but at the same time, something must be working. I mean, at, le- at least for now, like. Well, what's working is 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 these ad networks. Like that's how 
of those 39 sites, I should have gone through and checked, but I would guess at least well into the 30s monetized primarily, if not completely through through ad networks. Well, I I, I mean, the, the, yeah, it's interesting. Is it really sustainable? I mean, it's I I think it might speak to a lot of poor journalists more than a sustainable business model. Well, is it poor? Well, the, it, it's an incentive problem, right? The 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 issue with ad networks and the way ads work today is what exactly do publishers control? We just explained that publishers have no more control, right? And so we talked like what can differentiate an ad? How well is it targeted? How, how what is the tracking like? Like publishers don't actually control any of that. So what's the only way a publisher can increase their monetization? I mean, content by getting a bigger readership, by getting more people on the side. More page views. Clicking, they're paid, yeah, exactly. yeah, they're paid by page views or they're paid by impressions. So, so all, so the the only way a, a, a journalistic institution can make more money on the web is to produce more content if they're using ad networks as their monetization model. And so that's why you get. 39 rewrites of one original piece of reporting instead of 39 links to, Oh, you should go read this. Mm. Right. So, you know, and the other thing is the privacy thing and the reality is, and I was, you know, I, I like, I like poking people about this whole ad network thing much to my, much to my detriment. I always regret it. Um, <laughs> and then there's, it a, there's a rare moment of honesty. Uh, well, I, I almost got into it again last night. I'm like, what are you doing? And I, I deleted it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, the reality is people, when it comes to the whole privacy thing, as we've talked about your, your, your personal details and habits are much safer with Google and Facebook than they are with these ad networks by a long shot. And, uh, I mean, Google and Facebook, their entire enterprise value is based on, the data they have about you, like they're heavily incentivized to protect it and, and not share it. Um, the, the ad networks and especially all the offline stuff, uh, you know, that tracks your purchases on sort of stuff, like all that, like that's where that your data is actually for sale. And, um, and so you add that fact that yes, the reality is ad networks are more of a privacy concern than Google and Facebook in my estimation. And two, they are, absolutely fueling uh perhaps we'll still call it unoptimal behavior among journalistic enterprises and it is tempting to say good riddance you know the whole thing deserves to burn down and die um the problem to go back to our jungle analogy is you burn you burn the whole thing down you burn everything down not just all the bad stuff uh, yes, I mean, I, 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 I agree with that, but it, uh, I, it, I'm, I'm going to extend this biology metaphor a little bit further. We back in Australia, you get these massive bushfires, similar to the fires you get in California, and uh, it's, it's there's a there's an evolutionary response. It's basically like the fire comes through. It's not like nothing ever grows in its place again. As there's obviously a period of upheaval. But stuff always grows back, and yeah, it's it's going to. There's going to be a, a whole bunch of turmoil as this happens. But I I don't for a second believe that all of a sudden we're going to stop getting. I mean, again, temporarily maybe, but this will this be the end of journalism as we know it? Will people stop writing about? I don't believe that. Yeah, no, I don't. I don't believe so either. But it, it is it, it is going to be different and. The the challenge, as I think I, I wrote about um, sometime previously, is that uh, the vast majority of publications today are in deep trouble, and they're in deep trouble because their their incentives are are backwards for I think the future that's coming, and the future that's coming is to either one be really big and get your stuff everywhere. Um, or two, as we talk about, to be very focused and to be highly differentiated. And and given that to date, the incentive has been to pump out as much content as possible, um, that doesn't really work well for either model. Like you're not you're not really like this, particularly from a differentiation perspective. 
Um, and so, yeah, it, it may be one of those things where uh, the fire comes through and all the brush is cleared out and there's, yes, lots of lots of springs of new flowers and grass growing. But that doesn't change the fact that all the other stuff is gone. Well, I mean, if I'm to be brutally, if I'm going to be brutal, uh, brutal in my assessment, it's going to be that the 39 links under the BuzzFeed article are gone. But I don't think BuzzFeed's going away. I, I no, don't. But, yeah, but I mean, this, this, this they're goes. Built, to, they're built for the fire effectively, right? No, yeah, this goes to show like what, I mean, think about, this is what makes, this is what makes BuzzFeed so, so brilliant. Uh, there's these two alternatives. And, and so the other alternative is, again, we talk about to put your content everywhere. So yes, you can have it on your site, but also you're put it on Facebook. You put it on Snapchat. You put it on, you put it on YouTube. You put it on uh, Apple News. Like you, 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 you make your content super portable and able to be done everywhere. And so what is BuzzFeed doing? They're taking their content and they're putting it ever, everywhere and reaching a lot of people. What does that sound like? That sounds like what an advertiser wants. An advertiser wants to be everywhere and to reach people wherever they may be. And this get like this is why BuzzFeed's model is so brilliant because it almost recaptures that old newspaper model where the editorial incentive and the business incentive just happen to be perfectly aligned, even though they were achieving different things. That's the same thing with Buzzfeed. Like the, what they're trying to do from an editorial perspective is exactly what advertisers want to do as well. And so you can have your, your Buzzfeed business team, which again, and actually, but well, I'll get a second. They're using the same technology and the same warnings to reach people the same way that the editorial team does. And Oh, by the way, do you know who's super strict about separation in church and state? Buzzfeed. BuzzFeed, like they're actually more strict about it than a, a lot of other online businesses. And Jonah Purdy's, you know, been very clear about this because they're able to like they have the luxury of of, of doing it because they don't have to. Because it's, they're aligned. It's funny because way back when, when we had this conversation the first time and I was objecting to it, I, I was objecting to it on the basis and it was a misunderstanding or a misperception that you had the same journalists doing the actual articles as doing the the sponsored articles. But I, I have a friend at BuzzFeed and I was talking to her about it and she was saying that's absolutely not the case. And I was somewhat surprised. And I, I feel that they haven't... And, and, I feel that they haven't done a good enough job of communicating that and maybe that's changed more recently. But the other thing is there is a perception problem because the content that looks sponsored looks exactly the same as the content that that is that is uh that is not sponsored. But I guess that's more my problem than theirs because what you just said is absolutely factually correct. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the way I mean that's the way it was in 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 newspapers, right? I, yeah, and I mean that—that's that, the, the point. This is the whole thing that oh. I've said, that I've maintained for a while. Like native advertising is the natural state of advertising in every medium ever, except for this brief period on the internet where we had this queer bifurcation between content and banner ads. Like that's that's the fundamental problem with the banner ad. Put aside the ad blocking, put aside the targeting, all that sort of stuff. It's a stupid advertising unit. Well, maybe. I, I mean, I, I think that's. I, I mean, yes, you're right. But I mean, it's so it's so no, 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 juvenile. I, I, it's like we're gonna no, no, slap no, no. something next to what you're reading. But, I'm juvenile from a like from a sophistication standpoint. Right. I, I think it was just as is always the case when a new paradigm is introduced or, or a new technology, people try and port things from the old paradigm. And you you uh, you make the assertion that newspaper advertising has always been native content. But I feel like a lot of newspaper advertising is the equivalent or was the equivalent of banner advertising. It was it like, was it was. But that fit. But the, the, here's the key thing that fit the 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 format because it was paper, right? right? They were both on a physical piece of paper next to each other. The difference is on the web is that you're not dealing with physical piece of paper. Now, when, again, and you just said this, any new medium, you're going to use the thinking of the old medium, mm, right? right? And so people thought of a web page as being a piece of paper. And so they put a article here and an advertisement here, boom, done. But that's not the web. The, with the thing with the web and the is that there's an infinite amount of paper, right? And so this the, and the key thing to the web is is the link. It's it's the it's the going to a different a different spot in this kind of amorphous mass that that that, that is the web. And so what makes 
the way in which a BuzzFeed ad is native and just like a newspaper is, it just is that it's the same. It, it's the same format, and it's a format that's native to the web. And so you follow a link on 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 Facebook, you can follow a link to a BuzzFeed article, or you follow a link to a BuzzFeed advertisement, and. Yes, they're the same because that's the native medium is the link and 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 that sort of thing. And so, yes, is it – I would imagine whenever newspapers came along, uh, I don't know what sort of advertising it was before then. But people were prob- – they probably ported over some weird thing and then they figured out how to how, how to do it better. Um, right. Uh, yeah. I mean I, I also think part of the magic of BuzzFeed is that they've created these sponsored articles that people actually will be willing to click on to read. Like that's no small feat. Oh, for sure. I mean they're, they're very good at what they do for, for sure. Um, but I think the – yes, and, and I think the mistake that lots of publishers – that lots of uh, BuzzFeed imitators have made is they've tried to imitate like the BuzzFeed article format – when actually what should be imitated from BuzzFeed is the business model. And uh, and the business model is creating portable content that that will live and thrive on all kinds of different platforms. So you think about actually a BuzzFeed article is relatively unsophisticated. It's basically images and text and mostly images. And But images and text work on a web page. They work on a Facebook Insta article. They work in a Snapchat stream. They work in all these different places. And meanwhile, you have other publications doing these super fancy layouts and having custom designs and all this interactivity and stuff moving around the page as you scroll. The problem is that's not portable at all. Uh, and, And so, yes, by all means, have your heavily customized page, but only do that if you are a niche publication that is drawing a specific set of customers and you're monetizing them well, right? If, if you're a niche publication, you need to maximize revenue per customer. And if you want to, and the best way to do that is to differentiate and by all means blow out the design. But right. if you're a scale play, then, then actually your design arguably needs to get simpler, not more complex. Yeah. I, I, that makes complete sense. I mean, and, and like, if you're a niche player, you're, you're going to control the experience. Like, your readers are only going to be reading your stuff through a medium that you create. But right. scale play, assuming that's going to be the case, is a, a fundamental flaw in your thinking. And, and what's interesting is I think there's, the, there's such a temptation for publishers to differentiate. They want to differentiate through presentation. And the reason they want to do that is because that feels safer, right? It's like the, I made this exclusive thing. It feels more modi like uh, uh, moat like you know because it's oh we're the only ones that have this like vox has like their cards right and that's that that, that's their thing um the problem the problem is that i think that's a false sense of security one because uh content increasingly needs to be portable because that's how monetization is going to work going forward uh but two at the end of the day uh the way you monetize content is by having highly differentiated content. And that means the actual content is good, not the presentation of it. And, and so the reason why Vox succeeds to the degree it succeeded is not because they have cards. It's because they have Ezra Klein and they have Matthew Glacius and they have these other really great writers. And the way a publication is going to differentiate itself is like say say you're say say you're you're Matt Iglesias, right? And I love Matt Iglesias. I, I I think he's super smart. I like his writing. He also loves to explain things, right? I mean, he he likes to like. Oh no, this is actually how it works. And what is Vox? Vox is a site that their whole thing is to explain things. So if you're Matt Iglesias, and it, this isn't quite right because he's he's a, I think he's a co-founder of the site, but in but pretend he's just a journalist out there. And do you want to go to the New York Times for say? you know, X thousand dollars, or do you want to go to Vox for X thousand dollars, but less by 10%. On the one hand, you get paid less. On the other hand, you get to write exactly how you want to write. Right. And that it's kind of like a virtual good or what's the word? Um, Externality. No, it's like you, you get, you get paid through something other than money. Right. Um, Intrinsic. Yeah. Yeah. It's something like that. Uh, someone sent me the term the other day cause they said I should use it in an article. Like I already forgot it. Um, but I think you're going to have – that's a way for – for, and then you think about Vox. Well, if they can hire him for less money because they do a certain style of writing, take care of all sort of stuff, well, that that's excess value that they can now capture. Anyhow, that was a little convoluted. But I think, I think there's going to be uh, 
this new sort of publication that's really focused on much more niche, much more focused on on uh, serving writers um, and the actual places where the stuff is published is going to be everywhere. It makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. It's, it's, uh, it's now just a question of when. Yeah. Well, I, that's, I mean, that's why this, this content blocker stuff is, is something I I've Apple hasn't yeah. featured Apple hasn't featured. I've been watching the app store to see if Apple features it, a content blocker. Um, they haven't, uh, to date. It's only been 24 hours. Um, but yeah, the, the Marco Arment one, the, the piece one is still sitting on the top of paid apps. Um, and it's everyone's talking about it. Like it's, it's everywhere. Like, yeah. Well, I mean, we're, but it every, I mean, I don't know about you, but most of my Twitter feed is, is, you know, tech and journalism. So that's, we're, that's probably true. We're inside the echo chamber here. Right. Very, very, it's very echoey. Yeah. I'm not sure my mom's going to be downloading it at least until I get on her phone when I see an X and put it on it for her. Look at you. You're saving her battery life. Unapologetic. <laughs> I'm, I'm Ben. We've already talked about this. I'm just accelerating. I'm accelerating the the rise of new business models. Yeah, a pleasure as always. Oh, right, I'll talk to you later. See you, mate. Zendesk makes software for better customer service. Its platform is designed to bring organizations and their customers closer together, and is used by more than sixty thousand organizations in 150 countries. Customer relationships are built on trust and communication. That requires making customer service a core part of product experiences, not an afterthought. Make your customer service seem like magic by building it directly into your apps, websites, and products with Zendesk Embeddables. Find out more by visiting zendesk.com forward slash embeddables.